What's going on, family? Happy Monday. Welcome to another edition of The Faction. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you had an absolutely amazing week. Of course, there's always so much happening in the world of pro wrestling, and we've got it all here for you. Shout out to all of you who are following us on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show. We greatly appreciate you. For those of you who are subscribed to our podcast, thank you so much. If you're not, hit that subscription button wherever it is that you're listening to us today. And if you're brand new to what we're doing here at The Faction, welcome aboard. It is a wonderful time to have you here, and I hope you enjoy fun and insightful conversation about the world of pro wrestling. That's what we're bringing to you. Shout out to everyone who joined us for our most recent broadcast, where we really kind of gave you a review of kind of all of the things that happened during Memorial Day weekend. We broke it up over two shows, so I hope that you were able to enjoy both of those. Now it's time to talk about some of the latest things that have happened in the world of pro wrestling. And while this weekend wasn't nearly as busy as last weekend, it definitely still had some pretty significant events take place, including the NWA's presentation of the Crockett Cup tournament. New Japan brought us Dominion. And then, of course, there was SmackDown and all sorts of developments connected to WWE. So we'll be getting into all of those on today's show. Let's first start off with the NWA and what's happening with that promotion. Over the weekend, they brought us the Crockett Cup. Cup. The Crockett Cup was a two-night event, and it took place in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Now, if you follow your wrestling history or you are familiar, you know that North Carolina was a major area for the NWA, certainly during its heyday. During the era of regional promotions, when the NWA was kind of the governing body, a lot happened in that mid-Atlantic region, which, of course, is North Carolina. North Carolina saw, of course, the birthplace of Starcade, home for Ric Flair and a lot of other incredible competitors. So for the NWA to return to North Carolina has a degree of history behind it. Now, the Crockett Cup, historically, for those who are unfamiliar, is a tag team tournament that began in 1986 in the NWA. The design of the tournament is to, over a two-night period, prove who the best tag team in the world is. This tournament began in 1986 with the Road Warriors winning that year. Then it was followed in 1987 with Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes. And then 1988's winners were Sting and Lex Luger. The tournament would then take a significant period off. And part of that was because at that point, once you got to 1988, moving into 1999, the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions specifically sold to Ted Turner, creating what we know as WCW. So, of course, as Jim Crockett promotions went away from the NWA in pro wrestling, so did the Crockett Cup, with whom this tournament was named after. So then the Crockett Cup actually was resurrected in 2019 by the NWA. Of course, the NWA at this point, no longer a part of Crockett Promotions, doing things as its own governing body with not nearly as much power and influence as it once had, though the name still means a lot to long-term wrestling fans. So in 2019, the NWA teamed with Ring of Honor and CMLL to bring us the Crockett Cup, and the winners that year were Brody King and PCO. Of course, we know what happened. Well, if you don't, 
2020, there was actually a big plan to have the Crockett Cup here in Atlanta, but the COVID-19 pandemic hit, which kind of wiped away all sorts of wrestling events, and it wiped the NWA away for quite some time. So we did not see the Crockett Cup again until last year, and in 2022, Mark and Jay Briscoe would win the Crockett Cup. And so that brings us to 2023. So it's interesting because as you think about it, there have only been five presentations of the Crockett Cup, even though it began back in 1986. So here we are in 2023. The Crockett Cup has resumed. And among the 24 teams that participated in a tournament over two nights, the winners of the 2023 Crockett Cup are Trevor Murdoch and Mike Knox. They've dubbed themselves as the Wrecking Crew Combination, and they walked away with some pretty big wins in the tournament, including wins over Dak Draper and Big Strong Mims to advance to the quarterfinals. Then they defeated Ricky and Kerry Morton, and finally, the NWA world champion Tyrus and Chris Adonis, and that led them into the finals. On the other side of the tournament, you saw a team called Blunt Force Trauma, which is managed by Aaron Stevens. They defeated the Outrunners in night one and then defeated the NWA tag team champions, La Rebellion. And then from AAA, they defeated Octagon Jr. and Mysterious Jr. to make their way into the finals. So congratulations again to Trevor Murdoch and Mike Knox, who defeated Blunt Force Trauma in the finals of the NWA Crockett Cup Tournament to become the new champions. Other matches during the tournament saw Missa Kate and Ella Envy, that is M95, defeat Angelina Love and Max the Impaler to retain the NWA World Women's Tag Team Championships. Ruthie J defeated Kenzie Page via disqualification. And as a result, Kenzie Page is still your NWA World Women's Television Champion. EC3 retained the NWA National Heavyweight Championship by defeating the World Television Champion Tom Latimer. Colby Carino made his return to the NWA by winning a six-man scramble for the number one contender spot for the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship. He defeated Flip Gordon, Joe Alonzo, Eric Jackson, PJ Hawks, Gags the Gimp, and Jaron Fulton. And then Camille retains the NWA Women's World Championship. She defeated Natalia Markova. So that's a look at NWA's Crockett Cup event. And of course, as things go with the NWA, there's quite a bit of controversy leading into this event as the owner of the NWA, William Patrick Corgan, otherwise known as Billy Corgan, made a very interesting statement about their world champion being Tyrus. As last week, he said, quote, you're not a wrestling fan if you don't watch the big man and like Tyrus. Now, it's interesting because usually within your company, people aren't public about their disagreeing with the owner, but the NWA women's champion Camille had her own take, and she said that she absolutely disagrees with Billy Corgan. She says, quote, I think Billy likes being polarizing. It's something he's done his entire life, and it's why he sold the amount of albums that he sold and has the amount of fans that he has. 
As far as Tyrus is concerned in politics, I don't think that politics and wrestling should be intertwined. But you know what? It's life and people are human beings and feelings are a very strong thing. She went on to say this. I completely disagree that if you aren't a Tyrus fan, you aren't a wrestling fan. I completely disagree with that statement. My personal polarizing statement would be if you don't enjoy the NWA women's division, then you might not like wrestling because that is something that I can guarantee you will have a good time watching. Now. That was Camille's statement. Here's my statement. First of all, I do think Camille is right that Billy Corgan enjoys being polarizing. I think he believes that this is what creates ratings and gets attention, although I don't think he understands fans in 2023. With that said, I do think it's interesting that Camille goes so hard for the NWA women's division, even though I guess she should because she is the world champion there. But it was the same Billy Corgan who said that the reason why there won't be a second NWA Empower event is because there aren't enough women who wrestle the NWA style. So, yeah, it's all very, very interesting Again, I'm intrigued. If you're a fan of the NWA, did you watch the event? Did you enjoy the NWA? Let me know on the socials at The Faction Show. Now, NWA's Crockett Cup wasn't the only event that ran this weekend, as also running this weekend was New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion. It took place in Osaka, Joe Hall. And I've got to tell you something. The June 4th event yearly has produced some of the biggest moments in the year for New Japan. And this year, one of the big things that this event has done has started to give us some insight into what the upcoming cross-promotional event known as Forbidden Door will look like. Forbidden Door, which had its inaugural run last year, is a joint production of AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling where you really do get to see the best of the best, or at least that's what they want us to believe. But it looks like this year's Forbidden Door really could be very special. Here's a look at the results from Dominion in Osaka, Joe Hall in Osaka, Japan. Will Ospreay defeated Lance Archer to become the number one contender to the IWGP United States Championship in an eight-man tag LIJ, that would be the team of Titan, Bushi, Shingo Tagaki, and Tetsuya Naito, defeated just five guys. And that would be the team of Takamichinoku, Doki, Yoshinobu, Kanemaru, and Tai Chi. We have new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions as the team of Catch 2-2. That's TJP and Francesco Akira defeated Kevin Knight and Kushida to become the new tag team champions. Zack Sabre Jr. successfully defended his New Japan World TV Championship against Jeff Cobb. In a three-way match, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi defeated Aaron Hanari, the Great Okan, along with Evil and Yujiro Takahashi to become the new IWGP and strong openweight tag team champions. David Finley successfully retained the Never Openweight Championship against El Phantasmo. Hiroki Takahashi successfully defended the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against the winner of the Best of the Super Junior Tournament. That would be Master Wato. In a co-main event, Tomohoro Ishii. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada successfully defended the never openweight six-man tag team titles against the Blackpool Combat Club team of John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Shota Umino. And in the main event, Sonata Yotasuji to retain the IWGP World Heavyweight 
championship. Big card coming from Dominion. The results don't necessarily tell you everything that happened in here, particularly new members joining the Bullet Club, seeing that expanding, and then us getting a real understanding of at least two matches that seemingly are signed for Forbidden Door. Firstly, we now know that the United States Championship will be defended in a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom as the IWGP United States Champion Kenny Omega will defend against the number one contender Will Ospreay. Then we also found out at the end of that six-man tag team title match that Kazuchika Okada will be taking on Brian Danielson at Forbidden Door. Let me just tell you, both of these matches are worthy enough of the pay-per-view It's going to be incredible. I can't wait to see what other matches show up. But listen, I've been talking about New Japan with you guys for a few years now. And I know if Brandon Clack was on here, he'd be making fun of Tetsuya Naito and and the like. But really, there are some incredible things happening in New Japan. And understanding what's happening in New Japan helps to make Forbidden Door that much more special. So again, go ahead and check out New Japan by subscribing to NJPW World, where the entire library of all things New Japan are there. You'll be able to check that out. You can always, of course, go on to YouTube and check out certain things as well. So all of that is available to you. And then it looks like Forbidden Door is not the only cross-promotional event that's going to be happening this month. As June the 9th, which is just a few days from now, this Friday specifically, there'll be a special card called All Together A Again, a crossover event involving New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, and Pro Wrestling Noah. That's right. Three different promotions all on one card doing some great cross-promotional crossover matches. It's going to be really, really sick. The main event will feature all three promotions in a six-man tag as the world champion from Pro Wrestling Noah, Kato Kayamaya, will team with... Kento Miyahara from All Japan and Hiroshi Tanahashi from New Japan. They'll be taking on Kazuchika Okada from New Japan, Yumo Aoyagi from All Japan, and Keno from Pro Wrestling Noah. Now, this is significant for a number of reasons. You have all three promotions represented on both teams. But, of course, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada are co-holders of the Never Open Weight Six-Man Championship. And then we all know about the war between Kazuchika Okada and Keito Kayamaya from Pro Wrestling Noah. It's been well documented. And by the way, Kayomaya has also been announced to be a part of the G1 Climax Tournament, which of course features both Okada and Tanahashi. Needless to say, some exciting times in the world of Japanese wrestling. And you can check out that pay-per-view on New Japan World as well. When we come back, we're going to have an important conversation about the significance of the Roman Reigns title reign. Because a lot of people in the IWC are having lots of conversations about it. We'll weigh in on that and more when we come back. What's up, guys? This is Mark here in the World's Strongest Man, and you're tuned in to The Faction. Attention wrestling fans, join us Friday, June 9th at the Action Building in Canton, Georgia for SHW 51. 
the semifinals of the Jake the Snake Legacy Championship Tournament take place as Chip Day battles Shoot Taylor and Bryce Cannon goes one-on-one with the Kenway. The co-winners of the 2022 GWH Wrestler of the Year Award finally face off in a match with a huge stipulation in place. If AC Mack wins, he becomes the sole Wrestler of the Year. However, if Nick Halen wins, Mack must leave SHW for good. And in our main event, a feud that has become very personal finally comes to a head as Happy Madness puts their SHW tag team titles on the line in a tables match versus the hierarchy. Plus, we'll hear from Todd Sexton and the new Southern Honor champion, Judas. All this and so much more. Tickets go on sale at the door the night of the show starting at 5 p.m. Doors open at 7, bell time at 8. Spread the word and let's pack the action building for another unforgettable night. Come see why we are SHW and this is our wrestling. This is Caprice Coleman, and you're listening to The Faction on Bonafide Radio. That's right, the amount, the style, the grace, the shape, and the face. Support Bonafide Radio, The Faction. Keep it on, baby. This past Friday, we saw a celebration for the historic title reign of Roman Reigns, as he is now over 1,000 days as the WWE Universal Champion. He won that title all the way back on August the 30th, 2020, and he's accomplished quite a bit since that time. He right now holds the record for the fifth longest title reign in WWE history. So first, I want to run through these title reigns so that you understand how significant of a title reign this is and how this fares in the space of history. So right now, Roman Reigns is at 1,009 days as of right now. Of course, that will continue. The next longest reign would be that of Pedro Morales, who held the WWE Championship for 1,027 days. So it is believed that he will surpass that for sure. Now, here's what they're not talking about that I think you do need to know. We've been told that there are only four other wrestlers for him to surpass. That is Pedro Morales, Hulk Hogan, Bob Backlund, and Bruno San Martino. And all of that is true. Those are four other people, but there are actually five other reigns. So we talked, of course, about the 1,027-day reign of Pedro Morales. The next longest reign is actually from Bruno Sammartino. They're not talking about this, but you need to know it. Bruno Sammartino held the championship for 1,237 days. From there, we have the reign of Hulk Hogan, who held that championship for 1,474 days. That reign beginning January of 1984, January 23rd specifically, and ending in February of 1988, February the 5th. Or the second longest title reign is Bob Backlund, who held that championship for 2,135 days. And then the longest reigning champion is indeed Bruno Sammartino, who held the title for 2,803 days. So for one, for everyone who is upset about the length of the Roman Reigns title reign, I'm not sure how well you would have fared living through the title reign of Bruno Sammartino, who had two title reigns that were each over a thousand days. The first one being 1,237 days, the second one being 2,803 days. That is significant. Well, let's tell the order of that correct. The first title reign 
was actually 2,803 days. He defeated Buddy Rogers on May 17th, 1963, and would hold on to that championship for nearly eight years. He would ultimately be defeated by Ivan Koloff on January the 18th, 1971. His second title reign would start on December the 10th, 1973, and he would lose that title on April the 30th, 1977, to the now late great superstar Billy Graham. So there's that. Now, I want to take some time to talk about why this Roman Reigns title reign is significant and could arguably be even more significant than any of the previous title reigns we've ever seen. Let's first begin to set the stage for what pro wrestling actually looked like in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, because I think it's almost unfair to make these comparisons apples to apples. For instance, so before I even get into that, let's talk about things like the economy really, really quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I need us to understand. The changes in the wrestling business from the 60s until now really is the same kind of changes we've seen in the economy. So it's like saying this, saying that you are a millionaire today would actually translate into a different amount of money in the 60s or in the 40s or in the 30s. Let's go back and say this. If you were considered a millionaire, say, 100 years ago, that probably equate to almost being a billionaire at this point, because obviously a lot has changed in terms of inflation, the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to measure what the wrestling business looked like in the 60s, 70s, and 80s versus today. So let's start with this. I've often talked about how we are living in historic times in pro wrestling because we are now able to literally watch pro wrestling on a daily basis. We can get new content of pro wrestling every single day in our business. That was not the case in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. In fact, let me tell you a little bit about how things were. For one, there was no live wrestling on television back then. All right. So just just kind of think about that. Most of the wrestling that you see now, certainly in WWE and for the most part in AEW, specifically on Dynamite, is live. OK, Monday Night Raw, NXT, SmackDown, they are all live. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, wrestling on television was all pre-recorded. So what does that mean and why is that significant? What that means is if something didn't happen the way it was supposed to happen, it could just be reshot, right? Like you could shoot a promo over again. You could shoot a match again. You could do those things over because it was the miracle of television. There's that. Then there is the advent of social media. Here's why social media has really changed the demands of pro wrestling then versus now. Then, if something happened, like I mentioned, at a TV taping that wasn't supposed to happen, there was no way for anybody to find out about it immediately. In fact, the way you found out about what was happening in pro wrestling outside of a region that you were able to watch on television was through wrestling publications, publications like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling. All of these types of spaces were the news outlets for pro wrestling. 
they would often report things a month, two months, even three months after they happened, simply because it takes time to take pictures, write articles, send things to print, etc., etc. But because you didn't have television, you didn't have any way of verifying when this happened. You didn't get to see it. There weren't these dirt sheets. People weren't talking about, well, oh my God, you got to watch this because this is going to happen. There weren't any spoilers. None of those things were happening. So the advent of social media has literally taken you inside the world of pro wrestling in a way that I'm not sure was ever supposed to happen, right? So even these terminologies that we have where we call things a work and a shoot we're calling people heels and faces and we're talking about what should happen and what shouldn't happen none of that was existing then and even in the 60s and 70s and certainly early 80s nobody even knew that pro wrestling had an element of being scripted to it so there's that here's the next thing okay so then when did all the wrestling happen pretty much everything that would happen would be house shows right? There weren't these massive pay-per-view events like what we have now. You know, on occasion, you would have large events like World Class. They would do their super card of wrestling. You know, the AWA would occasionally have large events. But again, that was happening in their region. And if it was filmed, it did not air live. It really wasn't until we got to, say, 1983, where the NWA gave us Starcade, where we actually had a live event on pay-per-view. And then, of course, that would lead us into WrestleMania and the like. Now, one of the cool things that would happen is in spaces like New York City, and I'm giving you a lot of history for a very important reason. You need to understand this backdrop of history to understand the significance of the title reign that Roman Reigns has right now. So understanding this, in New York City, there was a station called MSG. That's the Madison Square Garden Network. That, of course, was the network for pretty much anything that happened in Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden was the unofficial home of the WWE. So while the WWE during that era didn't have events like WrestleMania, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, none of those things, anytime they had an event at Madison Square Garden, it was the equivalent of a pay-per-view, right? Except they didn't know what pay-per-views were back then. They just knew it was a big event. And there was the thought that almost anything could happen. So it would be at these house shows where you'd see monumental moments like the NWA world champion Harley Race against the WWE champion Bob Backlund, right? And they'd go for an hour in a title unification match. You'd get to see these kinds of things, but it wasn't televised per se if it was recorded it would be aired later down the road on the madison square garden network now i'm telling you all of this so that you understand that the wrestling schedule and the requirements for these athletes was not the same right so what bruno san martino did in a seven-year period did not involve what roman reigns would have to do or what today's modern world champion would have to do so yes wrestlers were traveling from town to town but traveling from town to town and having a bad night and nobody knows about it is not the same as live television 
your every move being tweeted and posted about, people seeing you in an airport or renting a car and wanting to snap pictures with you and post it. That was not the world that was existing back then. And it really wasn't until you got to the 80s where the schedules really started to ramp up as you added television, cable TV, et cetera, et cetera. Think about this. It wasn't until the advent of Monday Night Raw in 1993 that the WWE even had a live wrestling program that would air on a weekly basis. That's significant, folks. So, you know, you can look back at like the big event that happened back in 1988 where we saw Hulk Hogan lose the world title to Andre the Giant on NBC. That was live. But there weren't a whole lot of those live moments that were happening. And by then in 1988, we already had three WrestleManias under our belt. You know, we had Survivor Series that happened in November of 87. So there's a lot of things. I say all of this to tell you that the eras in which Pedro Morales held the title for 1,027 days and Bruno San Martino held the title for, you know, 1,200 days and Bob Backlund held the title for 2,100 days. That was not the television era, as in the era we know now. It wasn't even the cable television era. Now, I say all of that to say the demands on a Roman Reigns you know, and I know there are people who are saying, well, he hardly defends the championship now. Well, look at all Roman Reigns did to get to this point. And let me say this. I want to say this. This is really important. And I'm sure I'll say this in other spaces as well. For everyone who wants to lean on the idea, well, you know, it's scripted. That's a horrible excuse. And let me tell you why that's a horrible excuse, because it doesn't matter how quote unquote scripted something is your body still has to hold up this is still very much an athletic competition and if your body doesn't hold up no matter what they have planned for you it doesn't work look at what happened in impact wrestling earlier this year with josh alexander who was experiencing the longest title reign in impact history he had an injury that's now got him out for nine months and he had to relinquish the championship Right. As a matter of fact, Impact's a great example of this because you also had Mickey James, their women's world champion, have to relinquish her championship at the same time because of injury. There are tons of injuries and things that happen that are not planned that can cause a championship reign to go awry. We saw it happen with Seth Rollins in the Universal Championship where he suffered an injury. We saw it happen with Finn Balor winning the Universal Championship one day and having to relinquish it 24 hours later because of an injury. So I say all of this to say for Roman Reigns, for the last 1,009 days to go injury-free, to be able to successfully defend his championships, not in two-minute matches, but in 20- and 30-minute matches, for him to tell the best stories in the business as part of the top storyline right now across all pro wrestling, this is why we have to acknowledge the Tribal Chief. Because to ask your body to do this at that level for a thousand and nine days and then some is wild. And so if you even say, well, you know, he doesn't defend the title that much. He only fights an X number of times. Well, let's take it to the folks in MMA and boxing for everybody who, you know, says what they say. 
boxing champions and MMA champions don't defend their titles weekly. Matter of fact, they might have two to maybe three fights an entire year. Maybe. And why is that? Because your body needs time to recuperate from that level of punishment. The body wasn't meant to do that. And we could make the argument that the WWE and pro wrestlers are far more athletic because they are required to put their bodies through this on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times in a given week. Plus, there's travel and training and all of these things, appearances, the demands and the schedules are crazy. So with that said, we're living in the midst of history. We're living in the midst of something that Bob Backlund did not do. Bruno Sammartino did not do. Pedro Morales did not do. Hulk Hogan at 1,474 days could be the closest in terms of the demands, but even what Hulk Hogan endured doesn't compare to what Roman Reigns endures. And, and I'll say this, Hogan was a major part of pro wrestling exploding into sports entertainment and really creating the opportunity for everybody to eat. I don't think there's anybody who can deny that. There's nobody who can deny the crossover and mainstream appeal of Hulk Hogan. But with that said, Hulk Hogan, again, did not have live weekly television. And even in taped spaces, Hulk Hogan, again, only appeared a handful of times and rarely ever wrestled on weekly television. So to that end, I want us to understand that we're living through historic times and this reign of Roman Reigns is historic. We will talk about this for generations because the demands for a pro wrestling champion, particularly the WWE champion, have never been higher than they are right now. So with that said, Shout out to Roman Reigns. We put our ones in the air to acknowledge you and acknowledge your incredible accomplishment. As of right now, at 1,009 days as champion, who knows? That could beat Hogan's record. And honestly, if it gets past Hogan's record, to me, it becomes the absolute greatest reign of all time. Let me get your thoughts on Roman Reigns and this historic title reign and what you think of the new universal championship belt as well let us know right now in the socials at the faction show well we've got a lot of great things happening and we want to make sure that you are staying connected to us all sorts of things we'll be talking about over time and make sure you're checking me out on tiktok as well at bonafide as we'll have more wrestling conversations happening there until next time representing for my good brothers courtney beard brandon clack and the fourth horseman, the EP, John Murray. I am Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. <laughs>